we're picking up Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, where we left off in Acts chapter 6, we actually got to meet a person named Stephen, who was after the church went through some growth spurts, they had to reorg. They had to reorganize and do some things, and they got seven seven men that they trusted to help with the reorg of the, the church. And Stephen was one of those seven men, and Stephen started talking about Jesus again. And then he was arrested, just like Peter and John were earlier in Acts. And now they had to face the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin being the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the high priests. About 72, 73 people. And they were the judge and the jury of this decision. They didn't want anybody talking about Jesus. Jesus died in about 30 A.D., we're sitting here now at about 33, 34 A.D., so three or four years after Jesus was crucified, buried, rose again, and then returned and walked among the people and ate with the people. Hundreds of people were witness of Jesus physically returning after His resurrection and eating and hanging out with them. And now the message is going out. Thousands are coming to know Jesus as the Messiah. The Messiah. And this is to the Jews. This is to the Jews. Some of the Gentiles are getting it as well, but this is to the Jews. They're understanding, but the leadership of the Jews is saying, no, he's not the Messiah. In fact, they said just the opposite. All the things that he did, he did out of the spirit of Beelzebub, the devil. And so... When that occurred back in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, you guys are going to have a hard time hearing this because you've blasphemed the Spirit. So literally now, the leadership of the Jewish nation is saying Jesus is not the Messiah and you need to stop talking about Him. And Stephen's like, I I can't do that. I just can't do that. And so now he's standing before the Sanhedrin and we get to Acts chapter 7. And, he's, and the high priest says to him, are these things true? What they're saying about you, that you're in the, God, you're in the temple teaching about Jesus and even saying that Jesus is going to destroy the temple. They knew they, knew they had to give Stephen a chance to respond. And Stephen's response is basically chapter 7. Let's break it down. Verse 2, it says, Brothers and fathers. Brothers. Jewish brothers. He replied, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. This is a, a big statement right here because he starts with the God of glory. Glory. You know that God came here on earth, talked to Moses, gave him the Ten Commandments in the burning bush. The glory of God was in that bush. Then the glory of God was in the tabernacle. The glory of God went away. Then Solomon built the temple. The glory of God returned. And then in Ezekiel, the glory of God went away. 
all the time because the Israelites, the Jews, were being disobedient to God and He just kept coming and going. And then we see in Luke chapter 2 that the glory of God came again through the birth of baby Jesus. The glory of God walked here on earth. So he starts his whole statement right here, the glory of God. Do you know what the glory of God is? And if you skip to the end of the chapter, he actually closes with the glory of God. So his whole statement here that he's getting ready to make is sandwiched between the glory of God. But then he drops the big name Abraham to the Jews. Abraham's name is everything. He is the forefather. In fact, in VBS, you still sing that song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. All right, I see you doing the motions. Stop. Why do you think that he opened up with the glory of God? Because he knew, he knew all the things that God had already given the Jews and he's reminding them. This whole chapter, chapter 7, is reminding them about where they have come from, where they've been, and what's happened to them now. If we go to Romans chapter 9, verse 4, it says this. Paul says this. They are Israelites, and to them belong adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. All these things have been given to the Jews by God, and now Stephen is reminding them, hey, the glory of God was given to you. And then he breaks it down even further. It says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. All right, I'm going to break this down for you, show you, because this is kind of cool. I'm going to use this monitor over here and show you a map. This is, this is Israel over here, all right? If you see the Dead Sea is right here, the Sea of Galilee is right here, uh, the Mount of Olives is right here, that's Jerusalem. So you've got Israel right here, this is the Mediterranean Sea, and then over here, this is all Mesopotamia. This is where Abraham was. You've got the Euphrates River and the Tigris, Tigris River. Okay, now if you want to know where that is in modern day, look at this. This is Baghdad. This is Iraq. This is Iran, Tehran. For those of you that are my age, you know Tehran very well. The hostages there. But up here is uh, now Syria, Damascus, Jordan, and still Israel. Alright? So you get the idea. Abraham started over here in the Mesopotamia, and then it says he went to Another area up here, which is in Syria, you'll see that in just a, a second. But then down here too, notice this little peninsula. That's the Sinai Peninsula, and you'll talk about that this morning. So you've got this whole map right here that is in reference to chapter 7, and you need to know these things. But it's kind of cool relating it to today and seeing where things are. So now Abraham... When he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran. Haran is in Syria. That's the northern part of the map that I just showed you. It says, 
and said to him, leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. He just quoted Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. He said to Abraham, leave Mesopotamia, come over here to the promised land, Israel. I've got a land for you and your people. At this time, Abraham didn't have very many people. He says in verse 4, Then he left the land of the Chaldeans, that would be Mesopotamia, and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this land in which you are now living. They're now living in Israel. He's, this is Stephen talking to the Sanhedrin where they're living in Jerusalem. He's like, Abraham lived here. This is where he eventually ended up because God wanted him to live here. He was the founder of the Hebrew nation. And Abraham's relationship was that of grace and faith. I'm going to say this, okay? This is kind of like maybe politically incorrect, but God showed His graciousness to Abraham. And when He he called him out of a territory, a territory that is in opposition to the Christian faith. Like, if you know the story, uh, Keith actually mentioned uh, this morning, uh, Hagar, that Abraham had descendants from Hagar and also uh, Rebecca. Right? Am I right? Am I close? Uh, but descendant, one was free and one was a slave. All right? And so literally he's calling Abraham out of this one land where Ishmael was in control and bringing him over to, G- to Jerusalem, the promised land. The promised land. And God is showing right here in this picture of just transferring them that Abraham is a man of faith. All these things that Abraham dealt with, he was, watch this, he was circumcised, he kept the law, and he worshipped in a temple. But before all that occurred, Abraham was credited with righteousness because he believed in God. It wasn't his circumcision, it wasn't because he kept the law, it wasn't because he worshipped in the temple that made him righteous, credited him with righteous, it was because he simply believed. It's just simply believed. He believed the promises of God, and it was his faith that saved him. Verse 5, it says this, He didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. God spoke in this way, His descendants would be strangers in a foreign country. His descendants, Abraham's descendants, would be strangers in a foreign country. That would be Egypt. Egypt. Remember when they were taken into captivity by Pharaoh and made slaves? It was all predicted right here out of Genesis chapter 15. It says, And they would enslave and oppress them for 400 years. Exactly how it happened. I will judge the nation that will serve as slaves, God said. After this, they will come out and worship me in this place. 
they're basically coming in and they're going to disobey God. God's going to allow them to be enslaved by the Egyptians. They're going to repent of their wrongdoings and God's going to rescue them and bring them out of slavery. That's all Genesis 15. It says, and so he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. The, the, Jew, the Jews prided themselves in this whole circumcision thing. And they failed to understand that this rite was more of a symbolic thing than it was of an inner spiritual relationship. We read about it later on in the New Testament about the circumcision of the heart. Like, my heart has been circumcised. But they've literally now taken this, this promise that God made with them and turned it into a ritual. They've made it something very religious. Something that they have to do. And over the years of fulfilling that ritual, they really lost just the enjoyment of the reality of it. That God had made this promise with them that you're my people, there'll be many descendants because of your faith in me, because of your belief in me. And they just lost the reality of that whole promise that God made. You realize that that happens in the church today. That we get bogged down in the rituals and the traditions and we forget about the enjoyment and the reality that God promises us that we can have. We get stuck sometimes. It says this, After this, he fathered Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of twelve patriarchs. Stephen's standing here before the Sanhedrin, and he's saying, I'm just reviewing what you believe is history. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons, 13 sons. You know all this. You have it memorized. Just let me remind you what occurred here. Verse 9, it says, The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph, Joseph being Jacob's son, and sold him into Egypt. That would be his brother's. But God was with him and rescued him out of all of his troubles. He gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who appointed him ruler over Egypt and over his whole household. Now a famine and great suffering came over all of Egypt and Canaan, and our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our ancestors, his sons, Stephen saying, our ancestors, Jacob's sons, he sent our ancestors, there for the first time. Watch this, verse 13. The second time Joseph revealed himself to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. So the second time, the second time, the first time Joseph was rejected. He was rejected by your ancestors. The second time your ancestors came, they found favor in Joseph the second time. Joseph invited his father Jacob and all his relatives, 75 people. 
If you want to get real particular, if you go back to the Old Testament, it says 70 people. And right here, Luke says 75, but it's Stephen, the one that's actually talking. Well, Stephen was a Hellenistic, Hellenistic Jew, and because of that, he studied the Greek Septuagint. A Septuagint is basically a translation of the Old Testament. And in the Greek Septuagint, they actually included Joseph's grandchildren, five grandchildren, bumping it up from 70 to 75. The Bible does not contradict itself. It says, in all, and Jacob went down to Egypt, and our ancestors died there, were carried back to Shechem, and were placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. If you remember, those ancestors were actually buried in Egypt, right? They died in Egypt, and they were buried in Egypt. But what happened? They literally dug them up and brought them back to Israel, to Shechem. Not a contradiction. Verse 17, it says, As the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. Time's moving on now. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so they wouldn't survive. This was a Jewish genocide. You realize how many times over world history there's been Jewish genocides. This was one of them. At this time, Moses was born. And he was beautiful in God's sight. He, cared for, he was cared for in his father's home for three months. When he was put outside, Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him as her own son. I'm flying through this because I think you know these stories. And Stephen's sitting there saying to the Sanhedrins, you know these stories. I'm just reminding you of what's going on. He says, so Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He killed the Egyptian. He assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. The next day he showed up while they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, men, you are brothers. They saw him as the Egyptian because he was raised in Pharaoh's house, but he's literally saying, you're my Jewish brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses aside saying, who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Quoted that from Exodus chapter 2, 14, just retelling the story. Moses, you killed somebody yesterday and we saw it and we know it. Verse 29, when he heard this, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, that little peninsula. It says, in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. He's staring at the glory of God. It says, as he was approaching to look at it, the voice of the Lord came, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. 
That's Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Moses began to tremble and, and did not dare to look. Verse 33, Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet because the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. That's Exodus chapter 3 again. Now watch this. This is big, verse 35. This Moses, whom they rejected when they said, Who appointed you ruler and judge? This one God sent as a ruler and a deliverer through the angel who appeared to him in a bush. This man led them out, performed wonders, signs in the land of Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. The first time Moses came, they rejected him. He went away and he came back a second time. What is Stephen doing here? What is he telling the Sanhedrin? Look, Joseph went and he was turned away by his brothers, but the second time, they were all about Joseph being their Savior, saving them from the famine. Moses comes to take the people out of Egypt. They're like, no, you're related to Pharaoh. We don't want anything to do with you. But he comes back a second time. Oh, we'll follow you out of Egypt. Are you tracking? Verse 37 says, This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. That was Deuteronomy 18.15. He is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness, and the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, he received living oracles to give us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. That's Exodus chapter 32. Read this, verse 41. It says, they even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to the idol, and were celebrating what their hands had made. Stephen's telling the Jews, the Sanhedrins, the officials, look, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, God gave him ten commandments. And guess what your ancestors were doing at the same time? They were making idols. The same time that God was giving them the Ten Commandments, your ancestors were down there breaking the first two. At the same time, he's pointing his finger at the Pharisees and the Sadducees as he's saying, this is how you've lived your life and all your ancestors. This is where you come from. The law. The law was given to you and you were breaking it at the very moment that it was given to you. Verse 42. It says, God turned away and gave them up to their worship. The stars of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Oh, watch this. He just mentioned the book of the prophets. So literally, they have the book of Daniel and Isaiah and Haggai and Zechariah. They have all these prophets and they have them memorized. The Pharisees and Sadducees have all these prophets memorized. And what, what's Stephen saying? God just like 
turned you over to it. If that's what you want to do, you go for it. It's the same thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Watch this. This is now Paul talking. I'm going to read to you out of Romans. He says, Therefore God delivered them over in their desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. If, if this is what you want to do, go for it. God said, if, if, that's what, if this is where you want to take it, go. He says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen? Verse 26, for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. God pretty much says right here, this is what I've created and this is why I created it and it's intentional and there's a plan to it. But if you want to like go do your own thing, own selfish thing, you go right ahead and do it. Go right ahead and do it. Says their women exchanged natural sex relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Verse 28. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. In other words, You've made your choice. You have free will. Hey, this is not my opinion. This is just me reading the Bible. This is just me reading the Bible. You can either pursue God and be obedient to the things of God, or you can pursue your own desires. You can do what you want. God's given you that freedom. You made the choice. He turns you over to it. I sit there and go, why in the world does God do that? Because I believe that God gave me a free will to choose Him or to not choose Him. And so, based upon that, based upon that, I... I get the opportunity to choose Him. And if I choose to follow my own flesh, it's probably going to lead me down a path of destruction. Look, I don't care if you're religious or if you're sowing your oats. If you're following yourself, it's going to lead to the same place. I don't care if you're doing nasty stuff or you're doing religious stuff. If you're doing it in your own strength, in your own selfish ways, it's going to lead to the same path. And I believe that God lets you get there because you get to the bottom of yourself. And when you get to the bottom of yourself, then you have to look up and say, help. When you get to the bottom of yourself, and there's nowhere else to turn. I believe that God is the answer. And he's like, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, 
If you just hang out with me, I'll live this life for you. Just let me live this life for you. And if you figure that thing out, hang on. Because it's pretty exciting. It's crazy. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just where I am. Stephen, I believe Stephen's there as well. He says, as is written in the book of prophets, the house of Israel, did you bring me offerings and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness? He's quoting Amos chapter 5. You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your, your god, Raphon, the images that you made to worship, so I will send you into exile beyond, beyond Babylon. So now again, it's world history. The Jews are they're worshiping all these different gods. That included, they were worshiping sex at this point. Uh, they had religious prostitutes in the temple. They were even sacrificing their children. They were doing wicked things. And God said, okay, now we're going to let Nebuchadnezzar come in and take you all and disperse you to Babylon, that Mesopotamian area. Again, you've proved that you can't be obedient to God and follow the laws. Verse 44, it says, our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness. In other words, I gave you the tabernacle in the wilderness and, and the Spirit of God, the glory of God was there. Just as he spoke to Moses, commanded him to make it according to the pattern he had seen, this whole tabernacle, the way it was laid out. Our ancestors in turn received it and with Joshua brought it in when they dispossessed the nations of God, the, the nations that God drove out before them until the days of David. That's Exodus chapter 40. Verse 46, it says, He found favor in God's sight and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. David asked, Can I build you a temple? He didn't get to do it because of his sin, but his son Solomon did. It says, It was Solomon, rather, who built him a house. 1 Kings chapter 8. But the Most High does not dwell in the sanctuaries made with hands, as the prophet says. So God came into the temple, dwelt in the Holy of Holies, and then in Ezekiel he left the Holy of Holies because once again they were disobedient. It says, Heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? He's literally saying, my spirit, my glory, the glory of God cannot be contained in a building. Not in a tabernacle, not in a temple. You can't, all these things that were made, it cannot be contained in there. The whole Jewish defense of their, their temple was illogical and it wasn't even scriptural at this point. Stephen's saying to him, look, you've got the whole Old Testament that you've memorized and it didn't work. The law didn't work. <laughs> you see what you did? You kind of messed this whole thing up. You kept thinking that if we can't obey the laws, we'll just add more laws. <laughs> Charlie dropped his phone this week. The screen cracked. Charlie got the phone fixed. Charlie's more cautious now about dropping his phone. Right now. Probably get an OtterBox 
for it. Keep it a little bit safer. What happens when he gets the otter box? He eventually becomes less cautious about it. I got an otter box. Drops it more often. He's just trained himself to drop the phone more often. You hear what I'm saying? Are you tracking with me? This is exactly what they did with the Old Testament. We got the, we got the laws, we got the laws, and we couldn't do the laws, so let's put more laws around us. Okay, we put more laws around us. Well, now we're, we break the first laws because we got more laws. Stephen's sitting there saying, you guys, do you not see this? Do you not see it? Look, it's happened over and over and over and over and over. You keep getting dispersed all over the place and da 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 And then he gets really serious as we close this out. Verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised... You may be circumcised down there, but you're not circumcised up there. He says... With uncircumcised hearts and ears, you can't even hear what I'm saying, all because of Matthew chapter 12 when they blaspheme the Spirit and Jesus said, nah, you, you've already made your decision, now you're not going to hear this. He says, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. I just sat here and reviewed the whole Old Testament and you're just like them. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? Oh, now he just went a little bit further. You've got the prophets memorized. The prophets told you all these things that if you need to like turn from your sins and you need to repent and you need to and come back to God. And what did you do? You killed the prophets. The very ones that you memorized. You killed them all. He says... They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. This is you. This is your generation. You Pharisees, you Sadducees, you're teaching all these Jews things that don't even make sense scripturally. He says, you received the law under the direction of angels, yet you have not kept it. You refuse to submit to God and His laws. Even though you've memorized it, even though you've tried to live by it, you eventually killed them. You, 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 Stephen says to the Sanhedrin. You're the ones. And then it closes out. Verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged, <laughs> naturally, and gnashed their teeth at him. I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> gnashed their teeth at him. But here, get this. Oh, oh, don't miss this. This this is so amazing. What makes Stephen so amazing, and he's only talked about in these two chapters. It says Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. I look in this room, I look in this room, and you all are full of the Holy Spirit. That's a beautiful sight. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God. He saw the glory of God. He looked up, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
Steven may have been the only one that was capable of seeing that at that point. I don't know. But he saw it. It was kind of like Stephen's coronation of about of what was happening here. Something amazing was about to happen right here. In verse 56, he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is like graduation time. I mean, they're playing the music and Stephen's just like, this is crazy. I see Jesus and he's standing at the right hand of God. He calls him the Son of Man. It's the last time the, the verbiage Son of Man is actually used in the New Testament. Verse 57 says, They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed again. Why did they cover their ears? Because they were stinking hearing the truth. And they didn't want to hear it. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. They began to stone Stephen. You can't talk about Jesus here. Oh, watch this. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. You know what's coming. You know what's coming, but now it's the first time that Saul's mentioned. He's just a young man. He's very well educated. He's hanging out with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's a part of the stoning of Stephen. He's a part of it. The men who had witnessed against Stephen... The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were required by law out of Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 7, to cast the first stones at the transgressor. The Sanhedrin had to throw the stones first. The Pharisees, which was Saul. They took their garments off so they could get a good throwing arm. And they literally took their garments off, their outer garments, so they could throw these stones at Stephen. And they laid them in front of Saul, the young Pharisee, and said, here, you watch our garments while we destroy this man. And then as soon as the Sanhedrin begins throwing stones, everybody else jumps in. Everybody else begins throwing stones. It was probably take a stone to the head to kill Stephen. I'm not sure how many stones were thrown before that one hit the head. But I'm assuming that God showed His grace to Stephen. Verse 59, while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The last thing Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. After saying this, he died. Stephen, the man, the first martyr in the Christian church, went out just like Jesus. He died a similar death 
by the Sanhedrin. And he asked God to forgive them because they did not know what they were doing. Use Jesus' words. Stephen, the first martyr. You know, we sit here in 2019 in pretty little places reading the Word of God. And we really have no clue what they went through as an infant church to fight the authorities that supposedly believed in the same God. Stephen was the man. He loved Jesus with all of his heart. Just as we sang earlier with Ron, give me Jesus, is what Stephen said. Give me Jesus. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can honestly sit here today and read these stories. We can hopefully, with your Spirit in us, clearly see how the Old Covenant played out with the law and what the law does and how you gave us the New Covenant, brought the cross and got the New Covenant and that we can live out of a new heart, that we can live our life with you being the source of our strength, that you can actually live our life for us. I pray that that we can see that, that it would be revealed to us. That somehow, some way, you would show us. And so, Lord, knowing that, we trust you, we love you. We thank you for this story of Stephen, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.